Hi, this is Lisa, and you are listening to Branching Out, an upbeat, friend-building, Christian-uniting ministry. We discuss current issues in our Christian faith, we chat about our lives, we do a devotional and offer prayers and praise that you share with us. Never be alone. Join us. You can reach us at our website, branchliving.com. Through Facebook at Branch Living, we have an international community, and it would be a privilege to have you join us there. You can comment, post photos, prayer requests, and praise reports. So join us on Facebook at Branch Living, and then you can also email your prayer requests and praise reports to me directly. I know a number of you um, have chosen to either just message me through Facebook, and that works great, or have chosen to email me. And so we'll get to some of your prayer requests in a little bit. Uh, Branching Out is a podcast. We try to do this two to three times each week. And we begin a little bit about the day and we open with prayer. Uh, But the heart of our podcast is our branch living message. We chat about issues in our lives. We move into some Christian news, views, and events, interesting happenings in today's Christian family. And then we have a brief devotional written by one of the Christian greats, and we end with your comments, your prayers, and phrase reports. So join us and spread the word. I really appreciate a number of you have told me that you've shared the podcast, um, and someone this week wrote me and told me they shared it with a missionary, which I thought was wonderful. So we'll open today with prayer. So uh, just get centered and uh, take a little bit of time just to kind of get into uh, God's presence. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for bringing us together again. We thank you for the opportunity to join each other from all parts of the world and to be together as a Christian family and to share and to be there for each other. We praise this and we pray this and praise your holy name. Amen. So today when I'm recording this, it is December 6th, and that means it is St. Nicholas Day. And so I thought it'd be fun to kind of look at St. Nicholas. I did not know a lot about him and to explore who he was and then to take some lessons from him. We're in the R, we're in relationships. And as I said, you know, as a Christian family, we can look at um, relationships to previous Christians who have passed on into the new world or those with us currently. And so um, there really was a Christian St. Nicholas. He was born in the third century in what was Greece and is now the southern coast of Turkey. He had wealthy parents who raised him to be a devout Christian, and uh, they died in an epidemic while Nicholas was still quite young. So Nicholas grew up and became a priest, and he lived his faith in full measure. He gave away his entire inheritance to assist the needy, the sick, and the suffering. He also had a heart for young, poor, unmarried women whose fathers could not afford a dowry. Back in his time, those women who had large dowries from their fathers had a much better chance of marrying a, quote, good husband. But without a dowry, women were unlikely to marry and were often sold into slavery. So um, mysteriously, on three separate occasions, a bag of gold appeared at the home of a single woman in need of a dowry. And the legend is that the bags were tossed through an open window and landed in the stockings or shoes left before the fire to dry. 
And so this is the origin of the custom of children hanging their stockings by the fireplace, awaiting the gifts of St. Nicholas. So I thought that was really interesting, these bags of gold, which really were meant for young women who would not have had a dowry to marry, and on three occasions were reported to have been tossed into the home by St. Nicholas, turned into this uh, legend of bags uh, of bags being tossed in, and so having your stockings hung by the uh, chimney in order to get treats from St. Nicholas. So Nicholas became the Bishop of Myra when he was a young man. He became known throughout the land for his generosity to those in need, his love of children, and his concern for sailors and ships. Nicholas was neither fat nor jolly, but he developed a reputation as a fiery, wiry, and defiant defender of the church during the great persecution of 303, when Bibles were burned and priests were made to renounce Christianity or face execution. When the Roman emperor ruthlessly persecuted Christians during this time, Bishop Nicholas suffered for his faith. He was exiled and imprisoned. He was released, but then he died on December 6, 343. And so the anniversary of his death became a day of celebration, St. Nicholas Day. So as is true of many, if not all of the saints, Many stories have been told of St. Nicholas intervening for people after his death. These include saving children from slavery, the protecting sailors, and saving people from famine. But after the Protestant Reformation began in the 1500s, saints like St. Nicholas fell out of favor across much of Northern Europe. During the early decades of the 19th century, a series of poems and write, poets and writers strove to make Christ, Christmas a family celebration by reviving and remaking St. Nicholas. So the Protestant Reformation um, took away the celebrations of Christianity, but then in the 19th century, the poets and the writers wanted to make Christmas a holiday, and so they kind of recreated St. Nicholas. So how did they do that? Well, Washington Irving, Irvine's book in 1809, The Knickerbocker History of New York, first portrayed a pipe-smoking Nicholas soaring over the rooftops in a flying wagon, delivering presents to good girls and boys, and switches to bad ones. In 1821, an anonymously illustrated poem entitled The, Ch the Children's Friend went much further in shaping the modern Santa and associating him with Christmas. Here, there was no mention of religion. He was a magical gift bringer, stripped of any religious characteristics and dressed in fur. Then in 1822, Clement Clark Moore wrote A Visit from St. Nicholas, better known today as The Night Before Christmas, for his six children. It was published anonymously the next year, and to this day, the plump, jolly Santa described therein rides a sleigh driven with eight familiar reindeer. So December 6th is still the main day for gift giving and merrymaking in many parts of Europe. This simple gift giving in the early advent helps preserve Christmas day to focus on the Christ child. 
I thought that was a great thing that they give early in Advent. So actually Christ's birthday, the day that we celebrate as the day of his birth, um, is really focused on Christ. So when we listen to uh, people, to saints like St. Nicholas, what do we take from this? Um, well, first what I took was that he was an amazing Christian. He gave his fortune to the poor, he stood up for those who were disenfranchised, and he defended the church and the faith. He lived a noble and good life. Second, there is nothing new about taking Christian elements out of the uh, Christmas story. So this has been going on for centuries. And so we must, as Christians, follow the example of St. Nicholas and uphold the Christian faith. We must do what he did in his life and be the hands and feet of Christ, even in difficult times and bad times. And third, we must follow the path given to each of us by God. St. Nicholas had wealth and he used it. He had prominence and he used it. But most of all, he had a caring heart a heart set on God, and he used it. So my reflection on St. Nicholas Day is to reflect on his very good life, and then to ask myself if I am using the gifts that God has given me and walking the path that he has set for me. Santa Claus is a great figure, but St. Nicholas was a true saint. And so um, I use sources for that from National Geographic, from um, HolidayInsights.com and from the St. Nicholas Center. Um, so praise be to God for the gift of St. Nicholas. What an amazing saint. I mean, when you read the lives of these people, you can see, can't you, how uh, they became saints because my goodness, the lives that they lived, the sacrifices that they made. Very interesting that he could have lived a life of luxury, um, but instead chose the better path and chose to follow God. So in terms of Christian news, I found something in Christianity Today that I wanted to share with you during our time together. And that is um, how people, how the faith and how Christians are doing during this pandemic um, and how the pandemic has affected. Now, this is these would be Americans and their thoughts about God and church. So some interesting statistics. One in five Americans say that their church was helpful to their family during the pandemic. You know, and I thought that was just a shame. I mean, that number should be five in five. And so it's just a call to the church to say, if we haven't started to connect with people during this pandemic, we need to do that. Uh, because again, only one in five say that their churches were helpful to them during the pandemic. But when asked if the pandemic has made their faith stronger, 40% of born-again Protestants say that the pandemic has made their faith stronger, and 26% of all Americans say that the pandemic has made their faith stronger. So there's a good dimension of the pandemic that people really have in many ways come back to their faith or have, that the pandemic has strengthened their faith. So during the outbreak, the question was to evangelical church go goers asking if they had tithed and if they had, how much? So 8% said they were actually tithing more money. 14% said less money. 62% said the same amount. 14% said they didn't tithe and 2% didn't answer. But interesting that um, the vast majority of evangelical churchgoers 
are giving the same amount or more. That's 70% during the pandemic. Uh, one in five American adults started watching religious services remotely for the first time during the pandemic. And four in five evangelicals now worship remotely. So 42% watch services offered by their own church, 24% watch some other ministry, and then 34 actually watch both. They're watching their own church and they're watching another ministry too. And then the last uh, statistic that I wanted to share with you is 2% of evangelical churchgoers in America anticipate watching more services remotely and attending less in person once the outbreak is over. And I actually think that's a really good statistic for us because I know there are many churches right now asking, you know, will our church members come back when this pandemic is over? Or have they gotten so accustomed to not being in church and to watching church services that they might not come back? And yet only 2% are saying that that's gonna be their form of church. They, the vast majority of churchgoers, you can tell, uh, miss their church families, those that haven't gone back yet and are anxious to get back to church. So some good news from the pandemic in spite of all of the bad news that we often share. I'm going to uh, turn to our devotion now and we are uh, reading from Spurgeon and again Spurgeon is one of our, uh, he's, he was called the Prince of Preachers because he was so gifted in taking scripture and bringing it down to the level where it really meant something to the people. And he does that in each of these devotions. Although the language can be a bit archaic, I think still he has a great message for us today. So um, this one, uh, this quote is, and the Lord showed me four carpenters. The Lord showed me four carpenters. In the vision described here, the prophet saw four terrible horns. They were pushing this way and that way, dashing down the strongest and the mightiest. And the prophet asked, what are these? And the answer was, these are the horns in which we have scattered, is these are the horns which we have scattered Israel. He saw before him a representation of those powers which had oppressed the church of God. There were four horns, for the church is attacked from all quarters. Well, might the prophet have felt dismayed, but on, the, on a sudden there appeared before him four carpenters. And he asked, What shall these do? There are, these are the men whom God hath found to break the horns in pieces. And then Spurgeon tells us, God will always find men for his work, and he will find them at the right time. The prophet did not see the carpenters first, when there was nothing to do, but first the horns and then the carpenters. Moreover, the Lord finds enough men. He did not find three carpenters, but four. There were four horns and there must be four workmen. God finds the right men, not four men with pens to write, not four architects to draw plans, but four carpenters to do the rough work. Rest assured, you who tremble for the ark of God, that when the horns grow troublesome, the carpenters will be found. You need not fret concerning the weakness of the church of God at any moment. There may be growing up in obscurity a valiant reformer 
who will shake the nations. And so he goes on talking about examples um, that could happen, like Augustine's coming from the thick darkness of London's poverty. The Lord knows where he will find his servants. He has ambushed a multitude of mighty men. At his word, they will start up the battle, for the battle is the Lord's, and he shall get to himself the the victory. Let us abide faithfully in Christ, and he in the right time will raise up for us a defense, whether it be in the day of our personal need or in the season of peril of his church. And that really just struck home to me because I know that there's so much turmoil and so many difficulties going on. Um, Several of you from Nigeria are in the persecuted church and you have written about some of the suffering going on there. Um, I had a message from somebody in the Philippines this week talking about the poor crops and the difficult crops um, there this time. And so what Spurgeon is telling us through the Word of God is that God knows the difficulties and when the difficulties are there in His time, and that's key, in His time, He will raise up the men to address them. He does not leave us in need or in want. And just to conclude, he says, the Lord knows where to find his servants. He has in ambush a multitude of mighty men, and at his word, they will start up the battle. And so uh, praise be to God for that word of assurance that when we are in our difficulties, God is there with us and God will raise the men that we need to defend um, us, his, his people, and also to defend his church. So I'm gonna, uh, we were talking last time about what's happening around the world in terms of Christmas celebrations. And I just wanted to share two uh, Advent slash Christian Christmas celebrations and traditions from two countries. So today we'll talk about the Netherlands and the tradition of celebration in the Netherlands are a combination of traditions that even that even address their geography. They celebrate the tradition of St. Nicholas, known as Sinterklaas, and determine that he originally visited Sweden by boat, setting out on December 6th, the traditional day reserved in the church calendar, from Spain. And then once he was on shore, he immediately mounted a horse and made gift deliveries of candies, nuts, and small hard bread treats to waiting shoes of children. So old Sinterklaas um, is known as a very tricky person, able to appear whenever he is accidentally witnessed in the act as the father or grandfather of the child. He is very tricky indeed. Um, So they're saying he can sometimes even take the form of a father or a grandfather. He is that tricky. Um, Poland, that's the second country we're gonna talk about today, has a rich tradition of reserving space on the village and city squares for carnival-like stalls or booths called Jossaliki. The booths are decorated in themes of Christmas and are celebrated from Christmas Day to New Year's Day. Families and businesses make special efforts to make their booth the favorite, featuring one of the many scenes from the biblical Christmas story. Small gifts, candy, and Christmas cards are distributed from the booths to passerbys, 
and normally caroling troops move from booth to booth on Christmas Eve, after which the entire village makes their way to the church to celebrate late evening mass. So I thought that was charming. I had never heard the tradition of setting up booths um, so that you could go, you could have uh, people come and vote on the best booth and giving out little treats and then caroling amongst the booths and then going to Christmas mass. That is a great holiday uh, tradition that they have developed. So um, I'm going to pray now the prayers that have come to me um, over the past time since we have been together. Um, one of the uh, people who has written me is Susan, and she just wrote me actually tonight, right before I uh, started to podcast, and she is in the hospital, and so she's asking for our prayers. And then from the Philippines, um, as I mentioned, they are praying for their crops. Um, and then also we had three different individuals, one from America and two from the Philippines, ask for prayers for their finances. Several people wrote in asking for prayers for health. And then one woman who is a grandmother asked for strength. She's now been asked to take care of her two-year-old granddaughter and just would like to have strength to be able to address her very busy granddaughter's needs. So let's go before God with these prayer needs. Father, we count it as a privilege always to come before you with the prayers of people who bring their needs to us. And you've told us that we are a Christian family here on earth as well as we will all be together in your holy kingdom. And so we lift up all of these prayer needs to you today. We ask you to meet each person within their individual need, be it finance, crops, health, strength. We ask you to bless each person. And we have many needs we know in our community that we just don't even know about. And so we bring those needs before you as well, the needs within each individual's heart. We ask you to help us hear your voice and know when we can meet the needs of others and uh, count it as a blessing when we can do that, Father, when we can be your hands and feet in the world. What a true blessing that is. We pray this in your precious name. Amen. Um, I'm going to end with a little writing that I found from Oscar Romero, and he writes, we all must decide in our own conscience what side we will take. God our Lord is offering us marvelous fruits if we let him sow in us that sprout which will produce a prolific branch and the fruits of eternal life. This is God's plan and that is why the church is the vineyard where God's kingdom will always be in crisis. Blessed are those who feel the crisis deeply and resolve it by committing themselves to the Lord. I am very glad that precisely in this hour of crisis, many who were asleep have woken up and are at least asking where the truth is to be found. Look for it. St. Paul shows us the way. It is found with prayer, reflection, and esteem for what is good. These are wonderful criteria. Wherever there is something noble, something good, something just, there we find God. Uh, so what's a wonderful way to end our time together. 
Please do remember that we have a Bible study on Tuesdays at 7 Central, and you are welcome to come anytime and drop in on our Bible study. It's pretty informal, um, but we have a good time together. We pray at the beginning, we study God's word, and we end with prayer. And it's always a privilege again to have you uh, join me on Facebook. I've really enjoyed uh, getting your comments and your messages. So thank you for all of those. Thank you for sharing the podcast and thank you for sharing uh, Branch Living Ministry. And so until we get together again, stay close to God, stay in touch, and I will chat with you again very soon. God bless each one of you.